What do you get when you have over 1,000 technology developers, healthcare professionals, and medical practitioners working together on a specific problem in the same room? You get what's called a healthcare hackathon. One of the world's first movers in the pantheon of hackathon is Leo Exter, the creative force behind Hack Belgium, a massive EU open innovation festival and one of the most ambitious events of its kind over the last decade. Unfortunately, with the impact of COVID-19, hackathons have needed to evolve, and Leo is now the chief energizer at Hack Belgium Labs. We're speaking to Leo today, along with Thomas van de Castile, the CEO of the promising EU health tech company, Awell Health. Leo and Thomas, it's great to speak to both of you. Thank you. I'm great. All Thanks, right. Duane. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having us indeed, Duane. So, Leo, let me start with you. Obviously, the hackathon concept has had to evolve because of COVID-19. How has the hackathon concept evolved over the last 10 years since you started? We actually have to go back some 25 years, which is when the, the idea of the concept, the, the concept of the hackathons has, has developed. And those were events created by developers for developers. And that has basically continued for the first 15 or so years of, of the hackathons. But then some 10, 12 years ago, business people got involved. So the hackathons sort of branched into two different directions. One continued sort of being more and more and more about software development, uh, but the other one sort of moved to the side uh, where it became first about a parallel development of uh, business and software, apps, prototypes of apps and software. And then it evolved even further into purely business, which is where we play right now. The first branch, the first fork, if you wish, that has um, become more and more professionalized, but also the purpose has uh, evolved alongside with events that are done by amateurs for amateurs. There's also very, very professionally organized events, which are basically recruitment grounds for companies like Amazon, IBM, Microsoft, PayPal, Salesforce, etc. It's a technology showpiece where they bring developers on board, get them to play with their newest tech and then eventually on occasion hire some of them they do a lot of these events or used to do a lot of these events in, in american universities specifically just to pick the best and the brightest of these of the recent cohort students um, when it comes to the second part to the second fork um the business side that is a lot less developed that doesn't happen anywhere near as often partially because it's a, a bit more specialized profession and the results are not as um, as obvious the reason why we're doing that is because we saw the potential of the methodology, potential of the tool. For me, it's a shame to spend all that effort into recruiting best brains I can find and then get them to produce code and then just to throw that code out of the window the moment the event is over. So that's why we, we sort of shifted the focus towards more working on ideas and making sure the ideas are as interesting and as deep as we can get them. Uh, and we get there through interaction of a very diverse group of people, not just developers. So in our events, it's everybody who is touching upon a specific ecosystem or a specific problematic. Thomas, from your perspective, you're the CEO of a health IT company. You're participating in Hack Belgium Labs. How does it help you from your perspective at a well health? Obviously, how, how it helps me is on, on the one side to get exposure to, to fresh people with new ideas. I mean, healthcare is a, an ancient business and a lot of what's happening in healthcare is uh, based on how we've been doing things for, for millennia, right? So fresh people with fresh ideas, that's really what's interesting now. Then after that, obviously, comes execution, and we might go into that in the rest of the talk. But 
being exposed to fresh ideas is one. Um, a second is that people are drawn more and more to, you know, um, companies that that provide them with a sense of purpose in their life. And so we've had on occasion been able to uh, get into contact with people that we've hired then after that. So that's that's also a great place to uh, to meet these people and to work alongside them for a weekend, for example. So th those are some of the um, yeah, the uh, the ways that it has helped us in the past. What's intriguing is both you and Leo have touched on the fact that this becomes an alternative way to recruit and get to know people. Do you think this is more effective, more cost effective, and gives you a better idea of the performance level of the people you're hiring, Thomas? Well, ob obviously, there's reciprocity here. So we, we don't come there just to try to hire people. We've, we've always tried to give value ourselves by either giving uh, an expert talk or, or in one of the latest installments, we've, we've actually given uh, accounts to our software so that the people participating in, in the health hackathon could, could rapidly build care prototypes, care pathway prototypes uh, with our software. So there has to be some value from both sides, uh, right? But what is, what is super important indeed for for us at least as a company is to, to, to be able to work alongside someone for one or two days and you immediately see uh, the value that they could bring. So th this, is, uh, this, is, this is indeed a very, very good way of doing that. So Leo, were you aware that this was what you were doing? Was this sort of an ancillary value add that sort of came out unexpectedly? <laughs> I know it's the first time around that was indeed a very um, pleasant surprise. But from, from that first time onwards, we've actually absolutely been designing for this kind of effect. Uh, the way these events work, at least the way we, we, we the way we craft them, is that we start by uh, defining the goals, the, the high-level challenges that people actually find very, very important. And because they buy into all of the participants, buy into these challenges, believe they are, it's important to solve them. They participate with a very different spirit, they, with a very different intention, and that creates shared goal, shared objective. That's what creates this this um, very quick connection that Thomas is talking about. Because you are all working on the same goal, that's what helps people to open up to one another, to share their perspective in a very positive um, and informal way. And that's what creates the high quality interaction that is impossible to replicate in most other scenarios. This is what helps people who are coming from completely different backgrounds to, to connect with one another. It's, it's this shared goal that drives that. And of course, to, the atmosphere you build into it. Yeah, Thomas. To, to, yeah, to tie it back into the um, to the subject of of healthcare, you you, you could almost compare it to uh, an interview process is is like a randomized clinical trial, right? It's a highly controlled environment <laughs> that is not not necessarily generalizable. Whereas hmm. working alongside someone in during a hackathon, that's that's actually real world evidence that you get before you hire the person. So yeah, that's that's an interesting comparison because a lot of people are very critical of real world evidence. <laughs> what do you what, what do you value more, Thomas, from the hiring process? Oh well, um, you'll if you hire someone, you'll only have interviewed them for what maybe two or three times for an hour, and that's it. But if you hire them, you'll 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 work in real life for hopefully years with that person. So I I, I strongly prefer the real world evidence if I can get it uh, over over the RCT. Yeah, the problem in Belgium, though, is when you hire someone, you more, it's as they say, it's more like you're marrying them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the alimony that gets you at the end. <laughs> no, but, but jokes aside, the, the good thing about this process is it doesn't work only for hiring of, of your future colleagues. It's sure. any kind of business relationship. And actually, in fact, it's not only between the potential partners um, in, in any given problematic it's also between the different sides of the uh, of the table 
and because the stables you know tend to be around you you would have the patients on one side hcps on the other side you would also have government and industry on different sides of the table and having the shared goal and having the shared process allows people to align and sort of to smooth away any misunderstandings that might be there because of the usual i wouldn't say combativeness but uh, juxtaposition of these entities the normal tension of the relationship between the various stakeholders yeah of course how have you been dealing with the impact of covid-19 overall on this concept of the hackathon and how is Hack Belgium Labs dealing with this challenge for the next events? There is, again, the dichotomy between the classical uh, let's make some code hackathons and then the kind of things that we organize. The classical events, they have actually been going more and more online. And with, with COVID-19, they just moved a bit further online. And there is plenty of platforms for doing it. The two biggest ones are Hacker Earth and DevPost. And organizations like European Commission have been using them. For example, the recent uh, EU versus virus event had over 2,000 teams working over the over the weekend fully remotely. Obviously, well, the, the teams were fully remote, but they were not necessarily remote between themselves. Sure. But to create the kind of connection that Thomas and I have been talking about, you can't do that online. We've tried. We've, we've tried with design sprints and with other kinds of workshops, and it just does not work. You, you miss that quality of interaction. You miss that splash of imagination creativity. You don't get that online because you don't have this opportunity to just go off script and to spend a bit of time with this person in front of you. So to do that, we basically go back to in-person events. Of course, we will, we, the pre-event workshops that we're organizing for each of our events, they happen online because there we're more scraping the surface or you know, basically get people to agree on, on a few things. That you can do online. But if you want to have that quality of interaction, you have to look the other person in the eye and you have to face to face. So we're just waiting for the, uh, on one hand, the, the health situation to calm down a bit and also for people to become more comfortable with real world events. So we, we keep in mind the option of having to postpone our events. That's always a possibility. Sure. But it's offline all the way. So Thomas, how has this impacted your business then with COVID-19? I mean, given the fact you're in a telemedicine business and teledata business, maybe it's helped? Uh, absolutely. So we've we've so let's say when the when the lockdown was announced and uh, and 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 even before the lockdown, uh, we immediately saw the value that we could bring with our platform. So we, in just a couple of days, we were able to build and and release a COVID nineteen pathway first for only for screening people and then also for following up on patients who were discharged uh, from the hospital uh, after being treated for COVID inside the hospital. And there's now even several other uh, pathways live. One is, for example, closely following up uh, oncology patients who are both oncology patients and COVID-19 patients at the same time. So, and and this, this, this is exactly what our platform allows. It's to rapidly build and then execute these, these care pathways for different uh, patient subgroups. So, but we did most of that pro bono uh, because we thought that this was the time when you have a platform like this and the and you know the the people and the team to do it then then you can actually contribute to the world so that's that was pro bono but obviously uh we've been doing that for new customers and for existing customers and and this creates goodwill obviously from those customers to then uh get into deeper collaborations and 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 more use of our platform so it will probably hopefully you know it's it's already starting to pay itself back um uh, at the moment. So, Leo, when is the next Hack Belgium Labs event? What is the date? How can people get involved? The event will take place on the 2nd and 3rd of March uh, 2021. They can head right over to our website, hackbelgiumlabs.be, uh, click on Hack Healthcare, 
and from there on go all the way down to the bottom of the page and say get a ticket uh, if you want to become a partner for the event if you want to um, have a stronger impact on the content of the event there's another button uh, partner up with hack healthcare click on that one or just book a call with me through the website. That website again is hackbelgiumlabs.be? Yes, absolutely, hackbelgiumlabs.be. How many people do you anticipate being involved? What do you think will happen? We're aiming for about 100 people. Mm -hmm. That gives us enough of the um, of the scope to have different kinds of people involved. So, so the healthcare industry being uh, pharma companies, hospitals, care homes, uh, individual healthcare practitioners, um, healthcare IT, certainly. So obviously, Thomas, uh, looking forward to having you at the event. Um, integrators, um, larger technology companies, but also other kinds of players. So uh, less obviously focused on, on healthcare. That would be uh, IoT companies, insurance companies, obviously government. So we are talking to everybody we can talk to in that space. Um, so we're trying to make it as open and inclusive event as we can, while also keeping the, um, the size fairly limited, because we want to make sure that the atmosphere of the event remains fairly close, that people do get to meet a lot of other people who are at the event and you don't get when the crowd is too big. Sure. So Thomas, one of the big challenges of health IT, the space you're in, it's it's cultural. The IT world operates, you know, investors want results tomorrow. Disruption happens two or three years. There isn't really often a need to worry about patents or IP like you do in the pharmaceutical sector. However, in the biotech sector and in the pharmaceutical sector, you're looking at, you know, a billion dollars over a decade. How does Hack Belgium Labs manage those challenges of misalignment for you? And how do you manage those just on your own? How do you deal with that cultural clash? What Hack Belgium Labs does does really well is show that you, you, you really need to limit the scope of what you want to do in, 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 in that one day or in, in those in the limited amount of time that you have. So what's what's really funny is that when you start a healthcare hackathon, the first ideas that come up are yeah are let's let's combine all of the data into one database and then make that easily searchable and um, let, uh, let let's build AI on top of that so, so that so that the right predictions are given to the clinicians at the right time. So th those are always the very first ideas that come up. But but people immediately see that basically the whole world is already working on these ideas, um, and and that's that's going to take twenty years. So it actually forces people to come up with um, with ideas that are much much narrower and smaller in scope, but that 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 immediately become much more uh, workable. But that that can bring value on a you know, on a very short time scale, and and that's actually what's needed. And and we are big believers in in two things. One is that basically there is there is no real need for innovation at this moment in healthcare because just applying what we would all what we already know will will already solve the healthcare crisis. Right? That's one thing that we believe. Um, but if you would come up with new ideas, then then probably everything that are uh, everything that is smaller process improvements or reorganizations of, you know, how care is delivered, how information is uh, brought from one one party to the other. That that's really what's needed. And um, most of the projects that you get out of uh, the uh, Hack Belgium Labs kind of events is is in the end those kind of projects that immediately can bring value. Leo, from your perspective, how much of this is just endemic to the way we've built healthcare and just the fact that we're not really trapping these young IT people into the culture? Well, it's it's endemic to us being human beings, right? We work in, in specific ways and we have, the moment we get out of university, the moment we get out of kindergarten, we have a specific way of looking at things and thinking about things. 
Uh, and it only gets worse as you go through school, go through university, then start getting to work in a specific company. To me, that's actually the biggest barrier is that we sort of not very good at stepping outside of our own context and looking at things from other people's perspective. And if in professional environment, most people are stuck without contact with people who think differently from them. And that's that to me, that's actually the bigger long-term value of, of the kind of things that we do uh, is, is that we help people understand each other side's perspective and to open themselves up to the possibility that, you know what, there may be more than one way to, to, to skin the cat, as goes the brilliant English expression. So, so to me, it's this cultural change is that fundamentally is the big, that's the solid residue of, of, of the events that we do. It's not the two or three ideas that come out of this year's event or five ideas or seven ideas. It's this big change at the ecosystem level of let's try to rethink things together. That's to me the, the big difference. And again, to, to get there is, is the same as I mentioned uh, before. We say, look, here is a common goal. We all agree that this goal is worthy of achieving. We all agree that we all need to work together. Now let's get to it. And then it becomes a question of building, as Thomas says, it's these small examples. This thing, this particular project proves that if we work together, we can make you know, change effective. And if we work together again, and on a slightly bigger scale, we'll make it more effective next time and have bigger results for the real world. And, and that's the ambition behind what we're doing. It's not just one of events. It's the series of events where we try to bring new people in all the time, of course, but also the same people coming in all the time, building their individual networks and sort of slowly adapting the way they see the world. Thomas, picking up on what Leo just said, you know, at a well health, obviously there's a ton of hype in the market around wearables, mobile health, et cetera, yet we're not really seeing these disrupting standard practice. What do you think we need to do to change the way we deliver care to actually be disruptive? How do you manage that? Unfortunately, but that, that's just how the world turns. Um, this, 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 I think, really comes down to financial incentives. It's basically at the core, the, the way that the healthcare system has been organized until now is, is basically a fee-for-service model. And, and this is because historically, um, the doctor right, uh, had, had had so much education and it, it was impossible as, as a normal person to contradict the doctor right, and to, and to not follow his advice. And so everything that the doctor did was good and, and we paid him for that. But that model has shifted. Um, one is that there is no single brain, no single doctor brain, um, even if it's the most uh, clever one out there that can, can grasp all of the complexity of their pathology and all of the new evidence coming out on how to best treat their pathology. Plus there's so much more than clinical intervention. There is uh, the psychological aspect, there's a social aspect. So, so what we're seeing is is that healthcare today really isn't anymore that practice of a doctor making a decision for a patient and so we also need to change that model and, and luckily we're we're starting to see the first changes there in the in the value based healthcare model which is which is by the way a term that that is now uh, close to being 20 years uh, old uh, in the com- in the coming years but we see countries actually starting countries and, and and payers starting to change the ways that they incentivize their healthcare providers um, more specifically based on outcomes delivered, which is the result of the care delivery process instead of the activities that are performed, which is the input of the care delivery process. So I think um, all innovations aside, right, whether it's robot surgery, AIs, wearables, mobile health, whatever is out there, what's truly needed is is a, a reorganization of how care is delivered and then 
uh, incentivized at the end. But that's really hard because a lot of the incentivization of hospitals, for example, is still not only is it just, you know, a pay for service model, it's often uh, you have cancer, you need a bone marrow transplant, here's 20,000 euros, and there's not even any accounting or cost-based or activity-based tracking of how that's done. It's just a bulk one-shot payment. What that means is we're not getting any evidence generation around the clinical practice. So the idea of getting evidence and effectiveness for value, not efficacy, what we were talking about earlier about real-world evidence as opposed to a clinical trial it's virtually impossible. How do we actually develop this using the technology? How do we actually move to get more effectiveness, value-based evidence into practice with what you're trying to do? How do you actually get over those barriers to entry, as it were? There's a lot of focus out there on capturing reality, right? And that, that's what the whole data uh, conversation is about. It's it's gathering more data and then building dashboards on top of that. And then that really captures how reality is, is, is happening. It, it gives you an, a, a view on reality. But what, what that's missing is actually what is the process to get to that reality. And the process to get to that reality is what causes that reality or those results. And, and, and the process is the care pathway, right? And so instead of capturing reality, what is what is needed in, 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 in our view is to to work together again collaboratively on what should be the ideal care process for our specific medical condition that we're trying to treat here and then trying to adhere to that process because it's in the process that the actual care delivery elements are are captured like uh, how how much how much time you spend with the patient how much time the patient spends in the operating room how much treatment has been delivered etc that's all very much baked into the process so by by first thinking through what the ideal process is and the ideal vi- variations of a process and then and then trying to stick to that but allowing for enough variation if you then measure the outcomes of that process you start uh, to have the tools to to tie those outcomes back into what variation was you know accounted for for what changes in outcomes but people often forget it you need to have that that process tracking the process in place as well in order to make sense out of the data well on the other side um there is also the it's it's a point of view and it's a perspective um, and it's a culture and the good news is that within the healthcare ecosystem there is an interest in changing how healthcare is financed and we see that in our conversations with insurance companies for example so they are prepared to think differently so just now it becomes a question of okay so how do we bring along the healthcare practitioners uh, and of course the patients and then on top of everything the healthy citizens you know spending money on prevention spending money on care there's been so many spears broken on that subject that i don't you know yeah let's let's not go there it is possible what we've seen is is that it's possible to invent a solution for pretty much anything but there has to be enough openness on one side and will on the other side and the good news is that in different pockets of the healthcare ecosystem taken as a larger ecosystem there is willingness to do that so let's let's put in place the processes where this sort of opinion can spread and 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 go from being part of the pockets to being part of the bigger vision for the entire ecosystem. Um, Picking up on what you just said, I mean, a lot of people feel that Eastern Europe, the newly entered EU 28, now soon to be 27, there's a general feeling that those countries that have come in that don't have infrastructure baked into the cake, as it were, a lot of these Eastern European countries may be able to adapt more innovative processes and leapfrog 
and get past these structures. I mean, you're a Russian immigrant, Leo. Do you think this feeling is conventional? Is this wise or is this wrong? I think there's two components to it. One, yes, having a blank slate certainly helps. You can invent things that that haven't existed before. And Estonia is a fantastic example of that, that they've built a, a digital um, ecosystem for, for all government services, including healthcare, to, to, to the scale and to the, the, the amount of advancement that has not been seen in the more, um, let's say, better prepared uh, Western countries with more legacy in them. Every citizen has their own patient record, basically, electronic health record. Uh, yes, and it goes more, it goes for that. There is a fantastic startup in Estonia that actually takes the lab reports and instead of providing a set of tables, interprets them for the human reader, for the non-qualified, non-professional human reader. And 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 this sort of sideways thinking, I think that's where the, the true ingenuity um, happens in, in, in Eastern Europe more easily because they don't have uh, quite the same legacy, quite the same luggage, which is the flip side of legacy, in in how healthcare should be done. Uh, so, so having in having this openness of mind that certainly helps. But the flip side of it is you have to have the right resources in place. And if you look at the country where I come from, their healthcare is in a rather dire state, according to what I've seen from my friends and and from from media. You know, just having a blank slate does not is not good enough. You have to have the resources, you have to have the incentives to 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 make change happen. Well Health is a, a Belgian-based company. How do you see the interplay between Eastern Europe and potential innovation and what you're doing in Western Europe? Where's your business moving? So we're, we're actually uh, we just launched a product that, that that is globally available, which is what we call the Pathway Studio, which which allows anyone to to build and validate and share their their care pathways uh, in in collaborative teams, right? So, in several uh, European countries at the moment, but that's that's outside of the co- scope of this question. So, there's there's two interesting things here. So, one is that healthcare is so complex and is 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 getting increasingly more complex that it's on the one side it's a game of continuously learning and improvement improvement on your on, on on the results that you already have right and so you could look at for example a blank slate approach and then saying you know these the, the, the blank slate might be immediately better in terms of how the underlying infrastructure is organized or, or how how the incentivization system is organized etc but the, the true you know the true core clinical evidence and the uh, the the organization of the care processes to deliver the best outcomes in the most efficient way. That's something where I'm not entirely sure whether any part in the globe has an advantage over another part uh, in the globe because because you'll just need to have your process in place, measure your outcomes, tie the outcomes back to your process, update your process. And it's, I think what I would say is that the the countries or the teams, because this can be at a team level, at a regional level, at a country level, but those who learn faster than the others will get to better outcomes and more efficient processes much faster than any of the, of the others. So there's a big tie-in here to the startup world, right? Why why can a startup push out a big incumbent? Is because you can, as a startup, you can just you have shorter feedback loops, so you can learn faster than than a big oil tanker has. So, I would say that the the, the playing field is level. It's a global playing field, and the the ones who learn faster what care delivery process leads to what outcomes is is going to win over time. Where do you see most of your work happening right now? Where's your largest part of your portfolio? Yeah, so we're we're traditionally Benelux based 
yes. And so we we just launched last week the Pathway Studio. So uh, I can tell you more more of that. I can answer that question better in six months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll come back in six months. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the things that got passed uh, a couple of years ago is the general data protection regulation of Europe that's going to basically make sure everybody's data is protected and not abused. The problem is there's a lot of people saying that that has gone too far. What's your opinion of the GDPR? Is it, uh, is it a problem or is it overblown? Leo, what's your opinion on this? Uh, I've discussed this with a few of my friends who are in, in the legal profession. And, and the conclusion that I've come to is that it's a barrier only as long as you don't think hard enough about how to how to go over it or past it. It's it's a question of, uh, for example, if, if you have to secure the consent from a patient to her to share her data, well, what is her incentive? Sure. What is the mechanism for her to, to share that data? What's the mechanism for her to share that consent and to make it sort of uh, propagatable, if you see what I mean, from, from one healthcare provider to another one, right? So that's actually one of the challenges uh, uh, at the coming... Um, healthcare events, we're going to look exactly into that, into data value chains. How do you work within the context of GDPR? Not trying to circumvent it, but how do you use it in the right way? You have to get creative, you have to get inventive, uh, but I don't think it's an insurmountable uh, problem. Thomas, from your perspective, is GDPR a hindrance or is it overblown? Well, uh, I think what GDPR did very well is 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 give the power to the to the data subject, right? And uh, that really puts the onus on on us as technology providers to to inform the data subject uh, correctly. Now, in in terms of how many how many measures and uh, what what comes really down to what you need to do as a company, I think I heard someone say uh, a while ago that there were not enough sick people in the in the committees that decided on the gdpr these were only healthy people because because if you ask sick people if you ask patients 90 percent of them are willing to share their data if that means that that data is used to to solve their issue whether that's for them or for future populations right what people don't want is that their data is shared with google or facebook who will then use that for marketing purposes or to to you know to to make their insurance um uh, go up in, in in price. Obviously, all of those safeguards need to be in place. But but as a company, you can you can work with that. And uh, as long as you have a good contract with the patient, and that contract is based on a very clear understanding of what will be done with the data, then then you can go pretty far. You can even ask a patient, "Can I share your data with all of the pharma companies in the world?" And probably patients will say yes, because if that makes sure that my my disease is going to be cured, please share it with all the pharma companies in the world. And so the GDPR allows for that, which is which is pretty good. And and nobody else, not a hospital, not an ethical committee, no one else can decide for the patient to share that data or not. It's really on the patient, on the data subject to do it, which is which is I think at the core of the GDPR and a very, very good principle. Final question for you two gentlemen. If you could make one recommendation now within the EU, what recommendation would you make in the next six months, Leo? What would you do? Well, same as Thomas, I come out of the startup environment. And, and there, there's one thing that is absolutely core. It's focus on your customer. Um, healthcare has been about physicians and about their knowledge and about the tools they use for so many years. Um, now, for the past few years, we see the, the emergence of patient centricity as, as a thing that the pharma companies are talking about increasingly and the other healthcare practitioners are talking about increasingly. It would be good if 
they went beyond talking faster than they are doing it today. We're seeing some actual change, but going there even faster and putting patients further as the focus. It's exactly as Thomas had said, there need to be more sick people involved in, in taking this kind of decisions. And that's what patient-centricity fundamentally is all about. That particular pendulum needs to swing the other way. Thomas, again, from your perspective, what would you recommend to occur to improve the adoption of health technology in the next six months? What recommendations would you make? Well, actually, my, my recommendation would be to to ask a different question. I, I don't think, I really don't think that adopting innovative health technology will solve the healthcare crisis. Um, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves and the EU as well is what will lead to better outcomes and more efficient care teams? So w- what will lead to better value for the whole system and not, not just value for the patients, but also me, I'm a taxpayer. And so when I go to a hospital, when anybody goes to a hospital, they're actually getting care that is paid at least from a portion of my taxes, right? So I can be greedy as a taxpayer and say, I want the EU and my government to make sure that anybody can get the best outcomes at, at delivered by the, the most efficient care teams. But it's not only innovative health technology that will get us there. Uh, I'll give you one example. There is research that shows that, I mean, and this is even repeated research, so so it's not just one paper, but this has been repeated over time, that for palliative oncology patients, for example, the sooner you start talking about death, the longer they live. So this sounds counterintuitive, but it's not because the patient feels that they're they're at the end of the treatments and that they're tired and that probably the end is near. And and if they have questions about finances and the end of life, etc., and and this festers in the back of their mind, they get maybe depressed and they'll their whole condition will will uh, will digress. Whereas if you get a psychologist to that patient quite quickly and a social worker and you open up the conversation with the family about the end of life and everything that needs to be taken care of and you take care of all of the logistics needed, then actually all of those worries go away from that patient and they, they live longer lives. This is not innovative health technology. It's a process improvement. But it has this has been proven again and again that it makes people live longer. So if I was a pharma company, what I would do is actually package all of these great process improvements and and you know s- sell the process improvements instead of a new device or a new drug. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of these a lot of these improvements actually have have much bigger advantages than 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 any new drug uh, w- would have that 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 is just a couple percentage points better than the one that's already on the market. Yeah, but it's not patentable. <laughs> it's not patentable. So maybe maybe the business model behind it is not good. Um, <laughs> No comment. <laughs> Let's invent a new business model. It's, it's. I mean, in all honesty, Thomas, I mean, this is where companies such as yourself at Well Health potentially are going to drive that value. And, you know, Leo's putting the stakeholders together to make this happen. So maybe that will be the fundamental change to get there. I mean, maybe that's what needs to happen. Well, if, if, I, if I can give a very big compliment to one of the pharma companies out there, um, Amgen in the Netherlands, for example, they've actually changed their mission from from uh, selling successful drugs to to helping uh, healthcare providers be successful at treatments. And so being successful at treatments also means Amgen contributing to that healthcare provider with the kind of insight I just gave you. Uh, and this is an example of a collaboration that we are, are having at the moment where our, our platform is actually being used in co-creation between pharma and clinicians to to really look at the process of care delivery and see you know what what kind of insights can pharma bring to make the healthcare provider more successful at at delivering care and and, and getting to the best outcomes for their patients and I think that's exactly 
what is what is needed and 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 to come back to my earlier point this is totally not being incentivized at the moment by any government or payer so these are really pioneers and, and very early adopters who are convinced that this is the right model to collaborate and trying to make good cases that they then communicate about but on the on the policy level everything just goes so so slowly obviously so how long does that project run just out of curiosity so we we've done several of those projects um in the last in the last couple of years and we see more and more coming uh, but this specific uh, project with amgen uh, is in um, in the beginning phase so leo finally again when is the event uh, hack belgium labs when's that occurring and how can people get involved the event will take place on the 2nd and 3rd of march uh, 2021 they can head right over to our website, hackbelgiumlabs.be, uh, click on Hack Healthcare, and from there on, go all the way down to the bottom of the page and say, get a ticket. Leo, that's great. Leo, thank you very much for your time, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Dwayne. Thomas, for pleasure meeting you. Thank you for your time and contribution. Yeah, v- very welcome. Uh, thanks. We'll uh, speak to you all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.